A reading from Hebrews. Since the children brought to glory by God have flesh and blood, Jesus too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the word of the Lord. The reading is from Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 22, found on page 1028 in the Bible. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marvelled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. 
This is the Gospel of the Lord. Lord Jesus, light of the world, would you come now by your Spirit and shine your light on your word that we we may grow in faith and love. Amen. Well, I have to say that today is as near as any to a Sunday when I might have come completely unprepared to give a sermon. Because as I was settling down to prepare my sermon, I got the news that our daughter had just got engaged to be married. And everything went out of the window. I couldn't think straight. When? September the 6th? Where? South Africa? Oh, gosh. And I could hardly think for the rest of the weekend. So, but I I just about got there. And uh, to settle me down, a bit of C.S. Lewis helped. But no, obviously we're thrilled that that Kylie's got engaged. But um, C.S. Lewis, in his wonderful book, Mere Christianity, if you've never read it, I really recommend it. It's one of my favourite books on the Christian faith. Um, Makes two points about the human condition. And at the end of chapter one, he says this. The first point is that human beings all over the earth have this curious idea that they ought to behave in a certain way. And the second point is that they do not, in fact, behave in that way. In other words, we know right from wrong, deep inside us, and yet we don't always do it. And these two points, says C.S. Lewis, are the foundation of all clear thinking about ourselves and the universe we live in. Wow, that's pretty profound, isn't it? And and I think also, even as Christians, um, we know that we're supposed to put others before us, um, that we're supposed to uh, help others, we're not supposed to live selfishly. And yet there seems to be this kind of nagging fear deep down in us that makes us want to live for ourselves, that somehow we'll miss out. If we pour out our lives for God, then somehow we'll miss out on the good life. And it prevents us from doing the things that are good. And you know, psychologists say that this fear, many psychologists say that all fear, in fact, is a derivative In other words, it comes from the the fear of death, the fear that this is all there is, that there's nothing after we die, and that all fear stems from that. So how are we to overcome this? How are we to be people who live the kind of lives God wants us to live and be the kind of people that God wants us to be when we struggle with this, this fear, knowing what's right, but not always able to do it? Well... You won't be surprised to hear me say that, as always, the scriptures have the answers. So let's turn to the gospel reading and see, first of all, what that tells us. It's from Luke. And as you heard, as Fred read the gospel reading, a baby is brought to the temple. And there are a few questions around this baby. Who is he? What is he going to do? And what does that mean for all the rest of us. And an old man, Simeon, who's a faithful man of God, who's been praying in that temple for years and years, he has the answers for us. Verse 25, now there was a righteous man in Jerusalem called Simeon, 
He was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. And here it comes. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And what does he do next? He picks up the baby Jesus. He takes the baby Jesus from Mary, and he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, now you may now dismiss your servant in peace. In other words, he says this baby is the fulfillment of that promise that he's had from God. He has now seen the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the one prophesied about in the scriptures who will be the saviour of Israel. And he goes on, what does he come to do, this baby? He says in verse 30, Simeon says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Jesus has come to save the world, to bring salvation to the world. And how does that, how is that going to affect the rest of, of us, the rest of the world? Well, he says, which you've prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Now, the Gentiles were not a specific people group. They're simply everyone else in the world who didn't believe in God, in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so on. And so, the answer to the questions is, the baby is the Messiah who will bring salvation and who will shine the light of God for every single person in the world. So how is this all going to help us with the problem I began with? and that C.S. Lewis put his finger on. Well, if we turn to the passage from Hebrews, here, the writer of this letter directs, um, is, 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 is very directive about this question. So, the letter to the Hebrews is interesting. Some biblical scholars think it was written by Apollos, who was a leader in the early Corinthian church and is mentioned in some of Paul's letters. And some scholars think it's written by Barnabas, who was a big buddy of Paul the Apostle. But either way, everyone is convinced that this letter was written by one of the leaders in the early church who would have been close to Paul, who would have known Paul the Apostle. And in the first chapter, which our readings from the second chapter, but in the first chapter, the writer establishes the divinity of Jesus. In other words, that he's divine. And he says in verse 3 of verse 1, the Son, in other words, the Son of God, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Now, you couldn't get more precise than that. In other words, he's saying, Jesus is equal to God. He is 100% divine. But then in chapter 2, he goes on to say that Jesus is also 100% human. And in fact, in verse 14, he begins, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. In order to be the saviour that Jesus needed to be for the world, he had to be 100% divine and 100% human. He had to identify with our humanity and come to earth in flesh and blood in order to be our saviour. Why is that? Well, it goes on. So that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by what? By their fear of death. The writer recognises that this fear of death is the, is the fear that's above all other fears, that, that gets in the way of us living 
good lives. The writer to the Hebrews was writing to these Christians who were beginning to fall away from the gospel and urging them to remember that only faith in Jesus would free them from their fear. And this fear of death, it does mess up our lives. Um, One of the sort of ways that we're familiar with um, is this thing that we know of called the midlife crisis. You know, men get it at 50. And um, um, I won't won't comment on women because I don't know more about women, but men, at 50, men get a midlife crisis. Why is that? Because at 50, they suddenly realise, for absolutely sure, up till then it's been sort of in the balance, but at that point, they really, really know that they're now nearer to the time when they're going to die than they are to the time when they were born. And so it causes a crisis. And what do they do? They go out and buy motorbikes. They do. They, loads of them do. They go and buy motorbikes. Why do they buy motorbikes? Because they used to do that when they were 18. And it makes them feel like they're 18 again. Sorry, if you're over 50 and you ride a motorbike, please forgive me. But it makes them feel like they're 18 again. And it, and it sort of cushions them from, that, from the reality that actually they're going to die. And very sadly, some men go out and commit adultery. And they're unfaithful. And it's for the same kind of reason. It's the same fear. Because they fear that this is all there is. And they want, they want to feel young again. Very often it's a younger woman. And so they have affairs. And they mess up their lives. All because of this fear of death. But Jesus has come to free us from the fear of death. And this fear of death is a lie. That's why he says that, that is, it's from the devil. Satan, in fact, the word that's, that uh, is used in, in, in the Greek, means the deceiver. It's a lie. Why is it a lie? Well, let's read on. For surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. And then verse 17. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. On the grace course this week, we were learning about how all of the, the wrong things that we do, what the Bible calls sin, of all of the people in the world create a kind of a massive debt to God. In fact, again, the, the, the word that's used for debt and the word that's used for sin in the Bible is the same word. It's like a massive debt. But we can, as human beings, we can never pay it back. We simply can't do that. And so God's answer was to come to earth himself and pay the debt himself. How did he do that? He sent Jesus to do that for us. And so Jesus becomes flesh and blood to identify with us And then he pours out his life and dies on the cross in order to pay that debt. And when he does that, it means that our relationship is now restored with God and we become children of God, children in God's family. And that's wonderful news. That's wonderful news. So that sounds good, but how does that take away the fear of death? Well, the the reason it does is because three days later, after Jesus died, he rose from the dead. 
to new life. And if we follow Jesus, if we have faith in Jesus, so will we. And so as Christians, we can know, we can be confident that we have, that the moment we put our faith in Jesus and trust him with our lives, that we have eternal life. And that doesn't just mean eternal life starting from when we die. It means eternal life starting now. If I follow Jesus now, if I have faith in Jesus now, I'm already in my eternal life. Well, you might say, well, what about death then? Because you're going to die. Yes, well, death, though, becomes not an end. It simply becomes a step, a stage on the journey of our eternal life. And you might say, well, yeah, but that death isn't very nice. And, and we, many of us, perhaps most of us, fear dying too. And that's true. Um, there was a, a songwriter wrote a song called Everybody Wants to Go to Heaven, But Nobody Wants to Die. And that sort of sums up, perhaps, some, some, something of what, what we feel about our fears. Woody Allen had a more humorous way of putting it. He said, I don't fear death, I just don't want to be around when it happens. And, and, and that's the truth. We do fear dying, but we have no need to fear death. Because Jesus rose from the dead, so will we. We have eternal life. And that means the fear of death is conquered. And when that happens, we gain a new perspective on life. Because this isn't all there is. And if this isn't, if this isn't all there is, then I can afford to pour my life out here on earth in service to God because I know there are trillions of years ahead in wonderful joy in the presence of Jesus and God and all the saints. And I don't have to worry about this, this, this time I have on earth. I don't have to be grabbing. I don't have to need to do everything for me. We often have that expression, don't we? Um, he's done well for himself. And that's a bit of a giveaway, isn't it? Who for? For himself. That's the kind of human condition that we, that we grasp at. And, and when we get that new perspective, then we can live amazing lives. And I know she's so... I use, I use her so often as an example, but she's a brilliant example. Mother Teresa. What did she do? She discovered these forgotten people in the slums of Calcutta who were sick, who were poor, abject poverty, who were low caste and therefore excluded from society, dying in the the worst conditions in, in Calcutta. And what did she do? She rolled up her sleeves and got dirty and got into the gutter with all those people and brought comfort and healing and comforted the dying and brought the good news of Jesus to those people. Just as God rolled up his sleeves and climbed down to earth in the person of Jesus in order to bring salvation to us. And Mother Teresa, in her work, brought salvation to hundreds and hundreds of people in the slums of Calcutta because she knew she didn't have... She knew that she, there was more to this life than just the li- our life on earth. And how might that play out in our lives? If we, have, if we can change our perspective and realise what we've been given in Jesus, how might that play out in our lives? Well, we can lose our fear of death. We can lose the need to grab onto everything we own and, 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 and do the things for ourselves and pour out our lives for God. And that can play out in dozens and dozens of different ways. And there's one particular thing that I want to, to, to raise this morning because it's been on my heart and on the hearts of many other church leaders in Reading 
I'm a member of Reading Christian Network, and every Wednesday morning we meet to pray in the town centre for the town of Reading. And over the last several months, been laid on our hearts more and more and more the plight of the forgotten, what I would call the forgotten children of Reading. On your, your service sheets this morning, there's a, there's a picture on the front, and it's not actually a picture, well, it wasn't meant to be a picture, of somebody worshipping, although you might, have, you might have thought it might be, but it's the picture of a child, and this child represents one of the more than 200 children in Reading who have no family, who have no home, and desperately, desperately need one. They need long-term fostering, foster care, or adoption. Over 200 and in a town, Reading, which is, which is one of the wealthiest towns with the lowest unemployment in the country. And yet there are over 200 children. And on this table, there are cards of that, with that picture on. And it says on the back, please pray for the children in care to be found a, a foster home. And what prevents people from offering their homes and their lives for these children? Well, again, I think it's the same fear. It's, well, if I did that, that would cost me 10 or 15 years of my life bringing up a child. I never planned to do that. I I had all these other plans for my life. And and if this is all I've got, I I don't have time to do that. It plays out the same way. And so I want to ask us as a church to be praying for these children, that God would find them a family where where they can grow up. Children need a loving, stable home in which... During their formative years, where they know they're loved and they know um, that they can grow up without worry, without thinking, where am I going to be taken next? One care home to the next, one temporary foster home to the next. And so what I'd ask you to do this morning, if you would, is after you've come up for communion and you've had, taken the bread and the wine, would you come to this table, um, if, you would, if you would like to, and take one of these cards to take it home so that you put it on a mantelpiece or on your desk or on your table, or whatever it is, to remember to pray for these children that God would find them a, a, a home, a family. And under each card is a little tea light. And you might be able to just pick up the tea light and light it and pop it on the top of one of these um, dishes as a sign that through our prayers... Jesus, the light of the world, is coming into the lives of these children. And a year from now, I I want to repeat this, and I'd love for there to be a lot less cards on the table than there are now. And perhaps one or two people in St. Matthew's will feel the call of God on their lives to open their doors and their homes to take in one of these 200-plus children and be part of bringing salvation, if you like, to those children. Wouldn't it be wonderful if those children were found Christian homes where they would grow up knowing that there's a God who loves them as well as a family who loves them? If we can understand and take on board this truth that this life is not all there is, that we have eternal life with God, with Jesus, then we can pour out our lives in service to him. Amen.